And today, we explore how to say no in the workplace and what that actually means for women. Today, joining me, we have, can you say your name correctly for me? I feel like I always mess it up. El, El Thibault. El Thibault from uh, Montreal, Canada. She is a designer and student, and she's very passionate about uh, marketing and strategy around uh, telling the story and shaping story around the cannabis industry in Canada. Today's episode is sponsored by Made by Internet. So if you have a chance, go check out Made by Internet. It's a really cool new platform for writers, up and coming writers, and people that want to be able to express themselves without restriction. So El, welcome to Great by Design. Thank you for having me. We had some conversations where you were interested in the dichotomy or the intersection on another show that I had where I talk about saying no often. Mm-hmm. And I found your interest and your take on it interesting. So could you give us a little bit of feedback on why that was relevant to you or why I stood out? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was actually one of the podcasts where you were discussing the difference between the highly agreeable, agreeable, disagreeable and highly disagreeable people. And it reminded me a few days after listening I was thinking back on the episode and it reminded me of when I used to work at this um, clothing brand agency and I had a boss that was a highly disagreeable person and I was wondering how do you how do you stand your ground how do you how do you say no or how do you involve your personal knowledge into a workplace situation where you know, sometimes it's not taken super well by bosses that you say, hey, I don't think this is a great idea because so and so, you know, a lot of so-called leaders aren't actually leaders and they're just bosses who tell you what to do without necessarily knowing why they're asking you to do that, what's going on within their own workforce. And so I was wondering, what is the limit that you can reach? How do you say no in the workplace? How do you become a disagreeable person in the workplace? How do you not let yourself be a highly agreeable person in the workplace while working under highly disagreeable bosses. <laughs> yeah. So before we dive into that, uh, if you know Jordan Peterson, you know the his expression on work you've done. He's done on the idea of agreeable, disagreeable, and highly disagreeable people. What I've done is dove deeper into that and compartmentalizing these areas even more the only one that doesn't get an addition is disagreeable the centerpiece so where jordan peterson had three archetypes i have shaped that into five which is from highly agreeable agreeable disagreeable highly disagreeable person type a and highly disagreeable person type b the difference is is that you have people who are agreeable and I think that's most people are agreeable. But then you have highly agreeable people. These are people who agree to a point where that it's possibly extremely dangerous for them. Then you have agreeable people in a sense that struggles with defending themselves or standing up on for standing up for what they believe in or making decisions. Then obviously we have the the disagreeable person, this person cares much about society, the survival of people, uh the culture, but they also are well-informed and they care a lot about the progression of civilization. And they're not afraid to disagree for the sake of the truth. They love the truth more than anything. And then we cross into highly disagreeable people, type one and type two or type A and type B. One is highly disagreeable person. Type one is someone who is extremely informed, just like uh, this the disagreeable personality, but they 
they care more about the facts than they do people or humanity. And then you have type B and type B is what I think we confuse a lot of people with just being highly disagreeable, highly disagreeable person type B is what we think disagreeable or highly disagreeable people are, which is just to be frank assholes. These are people who are not only arrogant, but they lean towards the idea that they are right more than often, but they don't know much their information their perspective is not rooted in knowledge it's basically what i think and everybody else is wrong so basically people who don't have the resume to stand on their arrogance yes so they have done no research they don't have enough knowledge base to say they don't have the right to be arrogantly right like you know like you know if if jeff bezos or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, if these people were to be arrogant in their space, even though like he's being, you know, a prick, we, it, I get it. You're, you're well, in, not only are you well informed, you're the leader of this space. Like you are the go-to person, but highly disagreeable person type B is like, they're just, they're arrogant because the person that knows the stuff is arrogant. They're like, oh yeah, I think, or I believe what this person said. So I'm right. That would be Steve from the football team telling you that he watched YouTube and done research. And so he knows more than you do. Well, not necessarily because Steve from the football team that did research and, and watched YouTube might. That that is some level of research, right? Depending on what research you did. Right. So he might or might not. We don't know yet. But but highly disagreeable person type B does very little no research or they're they only find things that support their perspective okay they're not well studied in the sense that they have a balance of understanding um so even when they do search it's not research it's like i found what supports what i'm saying see i'm right and that's a big that's a big problem across the board so with that said we're looking at the fact that before we go there I like to, could you tell us a little bit about your background, about like where you're from? Your first language is French, right? Yes, it so is. English is your second language. Second language exactly. So there could be uh, communication barriers there. But could you tell us a little bit about your background as far as like how you end up going to school for design? What is that interest from these jobs you had in the past where you felt like you've had uh managers or leaders who didn't lead well um because we also did an episode about leadership i think it might have been our last one episode 19 with that said uh let's take a small break uh in celebration for this is great by design's 20th episode and l is our first guest on the podcast so that's pretty dope so it's a big celebration for those two things so yeah. thanks for being our 20th you know our our first host on our 20th episode i'm honored i'm honored yes so as you said um at the beginning of the episode i'm from montreal canada french is my first language english is my second language um i've been a person who's been interested in traveling and learning about different cultures in the world since i was pretty young um whenever i finished high school i moved all the way to alberta on the west coast because i wanted to discover a little bit more outside of my bubble I was still a little bit um, lost, you know, at the time. I wasn't ready to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I liked. Then I moved back to Montreal, where my brother lived at the time, started working in the restaurant industry for quite a couple of years. Um, still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Still didn't know where I was headed. 
um, encountered quite a lot of not so great managers and bosses in the restaurant and bar industries. It's not the places where people have the smallest egos, to say the least. And then I actually watched a documentary called The True Cost. Have you heard of that documentary? No, no. What? Tell us a little bit about it. The True Cost. So this woman goes on a journey to show people the true cost of their clothings and how they're actually made. And I mean, it's something that I knew from before about, you know, how clothing are made, the situations in Bangladesh, Asia, all over, you know, third world countries. But I didn't realize to which extent it was. And it made me interested in the fashion world in the sense of discovering how can we design a better process to create clothing that are still suitable for people who wear them and make them both. So that's how I got into fashion in the first place and later on discovered that what I was really interested in was the marketing side of it. So that's when I started doing fashion marketing in college. That's pretty dope. I appreciate that. My myself, uh, as you guys know, I've, I, when I started 2018, the one-year suit, or 2018, the one-year suit, and you know, discussing how limiting our clothes and and other things could actually save us time, mental uh, fatigue, and uh, money, and also possibly save lives uh, for melanated men across uh, the world, but specifically America. I've always been passionate about exploring a more ethical, relevant, considerate process of producing clothes and hoarding clothes. Like, what does what does that mean? You know, uh, and and what what does or fiber ways to look like and how do we reduce that so that's pretty dope yeah and you know just a quick note on that because it's something that not a lot of people know about but um you know the most fabric the most product produced fabric is polyester which is actually in essence petroleum which like is actually plastic so a lot of people don't realize that clothes is a big part of the plastic pollution problem so I just wanted to throw that in there. I know we're diverging a little bit off from the, the, the original topic, but I think it's something important to mention. No, super important. So could you tell us a little bit about these these restaurant or bar, the service jobs that you had that caused you to look at or reconsider the type of engagement that you were having and how saying no may have shifted, altered or enhanced your experience? Um, and we'll talk about like the time to say no, because I want to hear the story and we maybe we'll find some spaces where no could have been or resistance could have been introduced to limit or prevent other undesired engagements from happening. Yeah, of course. Well, the first it's actually in my first marketing job, the first marketing internship that I got in this um, at this fabric brand company. And, um, you know, to give you one very specific example to illustrate the whole situation I kind of had a problem with. There was um, a meeting with my direct supervisor and the boss on top of us with the three or four marketing girls that we were working with at the moment. And um, someone from another department had just left and I had been given the task of that one person to take on the role of analytics, which I have no background on, I've never done before, but you know, I'm super willing to learn. So, okay, let's go tell me what to do. And like, I'm onto it. So we have this meeting and the, the, the top boss is asking me about the analytics of the past month and so and so and I'm giving him the numbers and he just starts telling me that you know that's not the numbers that I should be having that's not the numbers that like I'm not looking at the right statistics I'm not looking at the right numbers and so and so and um, towards the end of the meeting he's talking about the task that he wants each girl to focus on and 
So as I'm saying, I was taking care of the analytics at that moment. And this other girl was taking care of customer service at that moment for quite a couple of weeks. And he just realized that, oh, you know, she actually graduated marketing this other girl uh, already. So I'm going to give her the analytics task and give me the customer service task, which I despise dealing with customer service. So to me, I look at that and I see quite a lot of problems already because you're, you're telling me now that I'm not calculating the right numbers. So I don't like the fact that you're telling me I've been working for nothing, if you will, for the past two and a half weeks. But also you're telling me that the job that I'm per continuing from the person who was doing this before, that person had been calculating the wrong things, had been looking at the wrong numbers for months before and nobody was aware of that because I took the exact same things that they were doing before. And now you're telling me that we're, you want people to exchange tasks, but you have no idea what's been happening in your team and how that's going to affect the workflow moving forward and how that's going to affect the fact that we're both going to have like a learning curve now of learning the other person's tasks. So for me, what what would have been the time to say no for you? I don't know if it's so much of saying no. Or, 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 or for better words, standing up or against resisting or having some level of defiance, disagreeing. At what time would have made sense for you to be a disagreeable person? Well, during that meeting, I think I was a disagreeable person, to be honest with you. I, I defied the fact that he wanted, you know, the two of us girls to exchange the tasks that we are currently doing at the moment. And I said, that, you know, why are you exchanging it? Like now we're, you know, we're running pretty smoothly with the tasks that we're having, et cetera, et cetera. I don't understand why all of a sudden you want us to like switch whatever we've been doing before. And I was with I was met with basically like mind your business kind of kind of a response. So then what, what happened from that point? We spent the next couple of days, about two, three days, just like talking to one another and keep like keeping tabs on, okay, are you doing everything okay that I was doing before? And just kind of like helping each other out to like get on, catch on with. No, 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 not, not, not the lady. What happened in your, in your work? How do you feel like with the person that you disagree with? Like what was the, what ended up being the end result? Was that it? Um, well, during that meeting, yeah, that was it. However, afterwards, when I went and talked to him about the fact that I felt like I wasn't being told what exactly was requested of me sometimes, the only answer was that, you know, you need to make yourself invaluable in any company. So I'm coming to you as my boss telling you that, hey, you know, sometimes I'm being given tasks that I'm not being told how to do. And there are so much things to do that I don't get to ask you guys or like come see you guys. And so at the end of the day, I want to give you the, be the best results that I can give you. But I can do that if I don't have the information on how to do that. Mm -hmm. And the answer was just you need to make yourself invaluable. Okay. So in those situations, right, where, we're, where we stand up for ourselves as a disagreeable person, The next step is like we have decisions to make. Is the trespass against us or the thing that we're standing up for so important that we need to end the relationship or go to a supervisor or someone else? Or do we just accept that as I've hit a stone wall? And with this is a little bit trickier. The equation, the math that you have to do on it is mission specific because some scenarios is going to be like, hey, I'm not accepting that. If that is done, then I'm out. Sometimes the situation is, hey, I addressed you. That's a problem. I get to go talk to somebody else. And sometimes the thing is, hey, I'm addressing you. I addressed it and nothing's been done. And there are scenarios where you might just have to say, all right, I've that's it. And that's all 
that's that's always just an individual person's thing. Like, how what type of disagreeable person are you, and what type of position are you in? Can you risk taking that stance and say, "I'll leave it all on the floor" because I'm right and that's wrong? It, ethically, it doesn't align with me. And I think, and, and with being a disagreeable person, you don't always have to be. It, it doesn't have to be in the relationship every time. We get to choose what that is. Right. You, you, you specifically talked about the scenario with the bar before. Like, mm-hmm. so what was that about? Yeah, that was uh, one of my Italian bosses, um, who was just someone who didn't really care about what was going on on the floor with his employees. All that he cared about was how much money was coming in and, you know, stuff and stuff. And we are, he would just kind of show up once in a while during the rush hour, tell people what to do, even though it didn't really make sense to ask people to do this thing at that moment. But, you know, you're in the rush, you don't have time to start arguing with your boss. And when I started working there, I was told that, you know, he was a little bit calmer than before, but that he used to just, like, get into screaming match with some of the employees there because some of the employees would, you know, hold head to him and just, like, yell back at him. But apparently that was that kind of person a couple of years before I started working there. So what's the scenario where you where you felt like you needed to be a disagreeable person or there was poor leadership? Sure. Well, there was an event. Uh, there was an event happening in the neighborhood in Little Italy in Montreal, and you know it's rush hour, and he's just telling people what to do. And you know, as a, as a waitress, as a bartender, you kind of have like an order in which like you're about to do thing and to do some things. And he would just come and ask me to do something, which I'm like, okay, but I'm about to do that in a little bit. I just need to finish so-and-so first. No, when I'm telling you to do something, you're going to you know, like you're going to do it right away. Okay, no problem. So as I'm doing that, he comes back to me. And he's like, well, this also needs to be done. Why come, how, like, how come you haven't done that yet? Which was the first thing that I was about to do before he asked me to do something else. So it's like, well, you know, if you could just let me do my job that I've been doing for you for months that I've been doing well, why is it that now all of a sudden you think I can do it properly because we're in the rush? Like you've seen me do it before. So the question is, were you a disagreeable person or agreeable person or a highly agreeable person or a highly disagreeable person? How did you handle that situation? I just said, yes, sure, I'll take care of it. Some of those moments where, you know, you kind of pick your battles and you say, some of those moments where you choose to be a highly agreeable person because the other solution is to argue with someone, to argue your point with someone while you have other things to do and other things need to get done. So, so yeah, I chose the peaceful road. So the next question is, were, was those kind of engagements enough for you to make a complaint to corporate or leave the job or was there any action taken based on how strongly you felt about the offense and trespasses quite frankly no in that moment no the next question because and i hope a lot of you guys can get a lot out of this because your situation and that situation represents a lot of people a Mm -hmm. lot of women specifically right so the next thing was did it it ever get to a point where you felt like you did something about it like why did working there end like was that the did you leave was that the reason were you fired because of your rebelliousness or disagreeableness like what did anything ever come for that or just he said he continued to do what he did to you until you were no longer working there well, in the moments where these things happened, I kind of realized that, you know what, I eventually need to leave this place. This is not where I'm going to have a happy, fulfilling career. However, in those moments, it wasn't exactly when I, I could 
was in a position to do that, but started the process in my mind of, okay, well, how can I put myself in a position to do that? So how much money do I need to save? Where do I need to look for a job? When do I start looking for a job? What kind of job do I want next? So that whole process of how do I end this situation started in my mind. And how long did that process take for you? Like from the time you decided you needed to go until actually leaving? Mm, I would say about two months, two, three months maybe. Right on. So again, this is something that's mission specific for each individual. Some people like myself probably would have left a lot sooner, but I live a a really different kind of disagreeable life. I've set my life up so I can be as disagreeable as possible at a a moment's notice. Um, But for for you, you needed a strategy to get out of there. But to answer my original question, you did leave because of the way you were being treated. That and other things. But you see, in the first scenario that we were talking about, the marketing job that I had, I left because of those reasons and I let the people know that I was leaving because of those reasons. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so that's great to understand because saying no to other things is saying yes to ourselves. Like these are scenarios where you said yes to you. And this is something that women really have to learn how to do. People in general, but I find that women, for reasons we've discussed in our past episodes, struggle with saying no and being agreeable when really and then also complaining about the things that they want, because that's problematic as well, because you say you want one type of result, but you stay in a scenario, an environment that allows for the thing you don't want to Mm -hmm. continue. All right. So. For some people, two months might have been way too long. For some people, two months might have been really, really fast, right? We have, we have a lot of people who will stay in scenarios and relationships for years yeah. before having enough and being fed up and stepping out and stepping away. And you know something about the first scenario as well that is interesting to notice and to, to point out is that being a waitress or bartender working in the restaurant industry, you are expected to be highly agreeable to everybody all the time. And having that in your workplace, you kind of carry that into your personal life as well, where you kind of feel the need to just be smiling all the time. So I think that was a part of why it was so ingrained in my mentality at that moment that, you know, you just say yes, you just smile, you just be polite, you just be nice. That I think it carried on with me in my personal life, like for a little while like during during that period of time okay that's that's a really dope insight so now my question to you is how do you carry yourself now do you have you learned from those scenarios is there anything different that you do in your day-to-day school relationships work that has helped you from that experience i don't know if it's from that experience specifically or from just you know living my life in general but i would say that i definitely stand up more for when i know that something's wrong just like in the second scenario like trying to stand up trying to go see the person or quite literally quitting a few weeks after because the situation wasn't getting better or weird in my personal life i'm more able to look at the facts and say wait i don't like this i do like this this is what i want this is what i don't want just distancing myself from events or situations or people that bring me things that i don't want and in my work life, I would say I try to look a little bit deeper into what company it is that is reaching out to me or that I'm sending my resume to. Um, who are the bosses? What kind of reputation does that 
place have when you do the interviews i ask the people how do you how would you define the workplace and i try to you know not only hear their answers but look at do they seem to be happy working there do they look miserable are they giving me are they giving me some beating around the bush answer nice well i would like to give you and other people some advice if that's okay go for it One of the most important things about being a disagreeable person, becoming a disagreeable person, is identifying moments and behaviors and scenarios that don't align with your moral compass, with how you carry yourself, how you've defined that you want to be respected, your barriers. So that means we have to know them first. And there will be there will be scenarios where it, it'll be so new that you have to decide on a spot if that's something that you're going to allow or not. But for the most part, if you've made a practice of knowing what what is no and what is yes for you, when it comes up, it's easy to identify. It's like it's it's like a noticing something early like if you're driving your car and something doesn't sound right and you just ignore it, it's like eventually that turns into the transmission failing or the engine you know blowing but you hear something that's questionable and you hey uh, let me take this to the shop or let me go if you know a little bit let me check on this right instead of saying well i'm gonna just the check engine like come on and like i get to it eventually it's you know it's probably not that bad and that's what we're doing in our relationships in society we are letting a check engine light come on and we're not checking we're noticing the brakes are squealing or not as stopping like they used to and we're letting it go on and then before you know it we crash the car and we're like oh this is not what i wanted um or it's not starting so the big thing for you guys especially women is identifying what you will say yes to and no to early this also works in romantic relationships really well dictating what you will allow and not allow knowing it not just waiting to see what happens i hear a lot of people say well you know men govern or dictate or choose you know relationships and i'm like no it's two people involved two people dictate the speed and flow of a relationship right um and it's the same thing in business we have to agree on things with that do you have any questions for me anything that you'd like me to elaborate on or you or you've been thinking about anything you'd like to share i mean i was just waiting for your advice on how being how to be a disagreeable person in the workplace in the workplace specifically going back to what i just said deciding what's acceptable for, acceptable for you at work mm-hmm. how you're going to be treated and also understanding that there is a hierarchy of responsibility and leadership and being respectful in that space some of those positions are going to require you to be yes but that's a part of your job description and it's up to you to understand when you're being asked or required to do things that's outside of the yes parameters of your job description and as you grow through leadership being able to stand more firmly on what you feel how you may present your disagreement and that's another important thing being a disagreeable person means that you are eloquently and intelligently able to express why you disagree and this is the information to support that and mm-hmm. also means having a good attitude matter of fact it in some would may call it uh, a finesse i'd use the word finesse how you express your argument in such a way that it's very soft and receivable and open and warm but clearly 
in disagreement with whatever the, the, the statement or issue or perspective is. What that means is me being able to let you know that I disagree and this is why, but not making it personal, mm-hmm. not attacking the person in any way, but addressing the idea. This is how it would be a really good disagreeable person is saying, hey, no, actually, if you look at this and we can look at this together and it's not based on my personal feelings, but here's some data and information and support. Remember, this is my level of expertise and this is my expert opinion and perspective and reminding the person across you. And this goes for romantic relationships as well. We're on the same team. We have it's okay if we disagree because one of us are going one of us is going to be correct, hopefully. And that in general. Right, because if both of y'all are wrong, then everybody loses. Not a headache in the wrong direction. Yeah, if both of us is wrong, everybody loses. But if one of us is right and the other person is resistant to it, then we still lose. Me being right by myself on a team of five people don't mean nothing if the five people don't respect me or not open to listening to what's being said or the information because I can have the right answer. But like, ah, no, we don't trust for Sean. And they go with answer C when I told them it was A and this mm-hmm. is why. And then boom, we all lost the point. Mm-hmm. Same thing in, 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 in all type of relationships between parents, romance, platonic. It, if we're on the same team, we have to have the space to speak with each other and dialogue with each other and give each other the possibility of being wrong, but also understanding that they have the possibility of being correct. And it's just knowing how much pushback to give without making it personal. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people think they're being disagreeable just because they disagree. And no, that slides over into being what we call the asshole, the highly disagreeable person type B, because you're just disagreeing because that's how you feel. And often it'll go into my attacking my personhood instead of attacking the idea, not mm-hmm. even attacking the idea, addressing the idea. Uh, so I think that's like the best advice as if we do like a if we're doing like a crash course into like how to make better decisions quickly. With that said, it's looking about that time. And I'd like to thank you for yours. I'm Fashan Vega. This is El Tebow. And where can we find you online? At gingerelle on Instagram to see all of my fashion and styling advice, as well as brand image strategy advice. I'm on Twitter at gingerelle as well. I'm on Clubhouse at gingerelle as well. And soon a YouTube channel to come that's going to be at gingerelle as well. And TikTok. Oh, yeah, I'm on TikTok. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes I'm on TikTok. Sometimes. At gingerelle. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, I think this was a great episode. I think you represent a, a large majority of people who have a lot to learn. And with that said, if you haven't already, please like, share, and subscribe. Is that now that you say remember fast? The F stands for Facebook. There's a, There are others like you. There's a Facebook group. How's it called? That's that's it. But I don't say it. That's just a recording. I don't remember. Peace in. You got to do it with me. One, two, three. Peace in. So, it's looking about that time, and I'd like to thank you for yours. If this podcast helped you in any way, remember FAST. The F stands for Facebook. There are others like you. You're not alone in your thinking. Join our private Facebook group where we discuss tips and tricks on solving problems, small and wide. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. 
Jim Quick says, knowledge is not power, but potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free design tips for your life, products, or business. And finally, the T stands for teach. Want to learn faster? Teach someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Simple way to do this is to leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You can also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building designers. Please tag us so we can properly thank you using the hashtag Great by Design and me at Fashan Vega, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Until next time, lead strong, be now, think great. I'm Fashan Vega, Define Design. Repeat. <laughs>